Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is videocast number 74, podcast 64 for the week ending March 19th, 2021. Uh, we're going to kick off with some media spots, and then we'll move right into the brass tacks for this week. We've got a lot of great stuff to cover. So first, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Fox Business on Tuesday. And there was a big article article out um, uh, all over from Ray Dalio, who is the founder of Bridgewater, uh, largest hedge fund in the world. And his view was that bonds are stupid to own now, were his, were his words, because obviously they're at near record low yields uh, around the world. And his message was to buy stuff, as you can see in the headline that the producers put there under the segment. Um, and Liz was asking my general view and, you know, one, do you agree? And two, uh, what stuff are you buying? And the point that I made was, of course, I agree with, with Mr. Dalio that bonds make a lot less sense to own than equities uh, at near historic low yields. But uh, generally, equities make a lot more sense to own than bonds, period. If you look over 200 years of history, uh, the, the outperformance is dramatic. It's uh, something like 4 to 5% compounded per year uh, over the last 200 years, the outperformance of equities over bonds. So uh, it, it is material, and uh, but certainly it's more pronounced now. The point that I'm going to get to in this podcast video cast, though, is the timing of these type of calls to get out of bonds after bonds have already collapsed 25%. Um, you know, tactically, it may not be the best time to be thinking that way. I think uh, on a cyclical basis, you know, looking over years, certainly the call is correct. But uh, I urge caution that when you have marquee names out with these big calls after huge moves, it's not always the t best time to take immediate action. Although the theme is correct for the long term, I think in the short term, uh, it, it may be the exact wrong time to be getting out of bonds if, if, you, if you are in them. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about why. Uh, but however, his point was that while he thinks bonds are stupid, he likes um, uh, Chinese equities in particular. And I said that I certainly agree with equities over bonds. My preference is in certain pockets of the U.S. stock market over China. And the reason being is uh, we have much better dem demographics than China. China had a one-child policy from 1979 to 2015. Uh, they have an older population. And I, I think moving forward uh, in coming years, they're going to start to look a lot like Japan looked in the 90s and the early 2000s uh, than how the U.S. is going to look. And, and that's in particular because our millennial population, 25 to 40, average age right around 30, starting housing formation, uh, is now bigger than the baby boomers. The numbers vary if you look at uh, the different statistics, but the most recent ones I look at said millennials are 72 million versus baby boomers are 71 million. For those of you who are around, uh, if you recall, the baby boomers drove 100% uh, of the growth 
growth for a, over a decade and a half. So in the early 80s, they were at the same age, that 71 million group of people were at the same age as now the millennials are, starting housing formation, and that drove massive growth from the early 80s, early mid 80s, all the way to, to 2000, when that housing formation, uh, family formation, spending wave kind of culminated effectively in 2000. And that's why we had effectively a decade and a half of sideways growth. I mean, we didn't make new highs uh, until 2013 years after the peak. And that was a function of my generation, Generation X, being substantially smaller, 60, 65 million. We didn't have the same kind of spending power, housing formation, et cetera. And that's why you had a plateau in growth. Very similar to the 70s we've just gone through. Now we're in the 80s, which is the equivalent of um, uh, today, the roaring 20s. And there was a similar demographic uh, setup in the U.S. in the 20s, believe it or not. Uh, they had a lot of people... Uh, at housing formation age going into the roaring 20s which which drove that that growth period as well so so we have a lot of positive structural things ahead of us i don't believe china has the same setup population wise and demographic wise and that's why uh, uh we we prefer certain pockets of u.s equities and then the flip side as well, uh, we've done a lot more stimulus than China, over $2.8 trillion this year alone. They're already pulling back on their stimulus. Not only did they not do nearly as much on a percentage of GDP basis uh, to combat the pandemic slowdown, uh, but that which they did do, they've already started pulling back. So by the end of the year, they're going to face tightening headwinds in their economy while we're just facing liftoff. And, uh, and that could be a very positive thing. So, And the areas of growth that you will see in China uh, and parts of Asia, most S&P companies are multinational and they will be the beneficiary uh, of that. And if you're making a case, which Dalio does, that the dollar is going to be dramatically weaker, um, we, you know, which is a reasonable, reasonable position to take, um, you know, that that will help U.S. companies' earnings effectively, offshore earnings as they repatriate. So uh, I, I like U.S. companies for, for a ton of reasons. And uh, in particular, I like, um, we're going to be talking a lot about today, right now what I like. Last year, we were pounding the table on banks, energy, defense, and aerospace. We, we are holds on those. We own a ton of them from a lot lower bases. Uh, but now where we've been putting a lot of money to work, uh, the first week of, of the, we started talking about it the last week of February and the first week of March, we put a ton of money to work in um, uh, utilities, consumer staples, and big pharma. On any weakness in the last two weeks, we have added, uh, you know, and, and they've had huge, huge moves, many of them, particularly utilities and staples, and now pharma is starting to get a, a bit as well. The other point that was important, because Dalio made an important case against the weakening dollar, um, if you look back since 1926, the best inflation hedge has not been gold. Believe it or not, it's actually been healthcare. 
the healthcare sector and healthcare stocks because demand continues to increase and it's unaffected by pricing power. And you know, if you understand the pharmaceutical business, it's it's easy to have pricing power when you have a patent. So and demand is strong, and that's effectively what's happening. Uh, we also emphasize to Liz that we liked healthcare because if you look at the S&P 500, is trading at 22 times earnings right now. Uh, at, um, and relative to big pharma is trading on average at 13 times. So you're getting nice growth. And uh, the stocks that we talked about, uh, uh, Pfizer, Novartis, and Merck, are all yielding double the 10-year treasury uh, at 3.5% for Merck, 3.8% for Novartis, and 4.5% for Pfizer, uh, and they increase their dividends. So you have an inflation hedge, you have growth, you have a bargain at the multiple, you have demand increasing, and all the benefits that, that uh, go into that. Um, we talked a, a bit on the segment about five-year inflation break-evens and uh, operation twist and rates. We're going to get into that in detail in this call, so I won't spend a lot of time on that here. But just know the takeaway is our focus is in high yielding stocks right now, um, high yielding, particularly focused on utilities, uh, consumer staples, and uh, big pharma. So that's that moving forward. Um, these are the articles. This was. Um, Investing in bonds has become stupid, Ray Dalio says. Here's what he recommends instead, and he talks about um, Asian equities, particularly China. Uh, but again, um, you know, after a 25% correction in bonds, I, I, I think it's the, the wrong time to be dumping out after a crash. Uh, maybe you want to lighten up on the next rebound. Uh, uh, and, you know, starting to add equities after they're up, 81% off the lows in, you know, just less than a year. Uh, it's not the time to get aggressively long stocks broadly. Uh, and certainly China's had a run also off the bottom and aggressively short bonds when both of those trades are excessively crowded. Um, so it's selectively long equities in my view from these levels where there's opportunity. And then bonds, if you want to lighten up, I would wait for the next big bounce, which I think may be imminent in coming weeks. So, um, But uh, from a secular point of view, I, I certainly understand where he's coming from, and, and I think that's the case. And, you know, a guy who's running, you know, over $100 billion, he's not going to be tactical looking at three-month trades, he's going to probably be looking at three-year and five-year trades as he moves that size of money around. And, and from that standpoint, that's correct. But many people see quotes and headlines like that, and they make the wrong move at the wrong time. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it can be uh, bad from a tactical point of view. Uh, okay, here's the Wall Street Journal article. China becomes the first major economy to start withdrawing pandemic stimulus funds. This was the point that I made with Liz. Uh, this article came out, uh, I think, the next day. But nonetheless, um, they're tightening. We're loosening. It gives us an advantage for the next 24 months. Um, and then this morning, I want to thank... Shashank Nayar and Meta Singh for including me in their article on Reuters. And it was basically, you know, the 10-year yield. Obviously, it's it's been going up, but it slowed its pace. You know, it went up 
uh, from 100 to 155 basis points in basically four weeks in February. And now it's gone from whatever it was, 156 to 170 in the next four weeks. So the rate of change is slowing. It started to come in a little bit today. And my point was the market's starting to sniff out that the rate of change in, in longer-ended treasuries is overdone, and we're going to start to see a stabilization of rates, which is going to be good for groups that are yield-sensitive. And what I emphasized, which uh, wasn't in this quote, was utilities, staples, and um, big pharma. And also, certain pockets of tech might start to see a bounce, although we're not playing that aggressively because there are other crosswinds in that sector that uh, make me less confident and comfortable in getting overly aggressive. Certainly you'll have exposure to tech if you have exposure to the indices, which you, which you should and probably do, but um, uh, surgically targeting those, you have to be very careful for, for the right pockets. Uh, quote of the day from Buffett, uh, I thought it was a good theme for this uh, week's podcast video cast. Success in investing doesn't correlate with IQ once you're above the level of 125. Once you have ordinary intelligence, what you need is the temperament to control the urges that get other people into trouble investing. So what are those urges is, you know, puking out all of your bonds after a 25% correction or buying a ton of equities after uh, the markets rallied 81% off the lows just wholesale buying, uh, that doesn't make sense. So I think on both, you just need to be more tactical, more thoughtful, uh, show more restraint, you know, wait for pullbacks, wait for wait, wait for pullbacks to, to add or buy, wait for rallies to lighten up or sell. And uh, on a tactical basis, that that's that number one. And then number two, uh, you know, I think back to um, I think back to the crash last year, and um, I was on Fox Business with Liz. It was it was late March or early April, and Wells Fargo was down 55%. I said, Liz, do you think uh, people are going to do you think Wells Fargo is going to do 55% less loan volume next year than they did last year? And she said, that's crazy. And I said, well, you know, Wall Street's the the only place you can go where they hold a clearance sale and no one shows up. And uh, and that's the type of situation where. We're all susceptible to that, you know, in, in periods of emotion is, you know, puking when we should be buying. Um, uh, and, and that's where that's the difference between where fortunes are made and fortunes are lost. So look for those areas that are out of favor. Why are they out of? Sometimes things are out of favor because uh, they should be out of favor. Um, but most often it's the short-term voting machine versus the long-term weighing machine. And that's what we try to look at on a weekly basis here is, you know, why is the market manic in the short term and how to take advantage of that? Because in the long term, ultimately the weight of the fundamentals for a particular stock or sector will outweigh and, and make meaningful money uh, in the intermediate term, you know, six to nine months, if not one to three years plus. And we're going to talk about some of those groups. Couple highlights here. Uh, nice to see yesterday, 1.4 million people traveled through the TSA. That's relative to 2.3 million last year. So these numbers are really creeping up. We've been over a million almost every day for the last couple of weeks. Uh, people want to get back out there. Vaccinations are happening. Uh, Miles Udlin put out a decent over at Yahoo. Put out a decent summary of a nice summary of the. Uh, Ajay Singh Kapoor's bullish note from Bank of America yesterday, and he basically said three factors are supporting the market now that should trump any worry du jour that spooks investors, namely liquidity, earnings growth, and breath. 
Uh, said another way, money is available, corporate fundamentals are improving, and more companies are doing better. That's that's certainly Captain Obvious. Uh, the question is what percentage of that is priced in, and that that's the real um, question now. You know, with with the market up 81%, and that's why we are focused on those areas that are lagged behind and not chasing the things that have already run. Uh, and you have to be very surgical in this type of environment. Now, when you have a wholesale crash of a stock market like we had last year when we were buying hand over fist, you know, you could effectively just throw darts at a board and buy almost anything and it doubled. So, so you know, March and April, that's, you know, twice in a generation opportunity. But um, on a quarterly basis, new opportunities uh, surface and and that's where we went aggressively early this month and those groups are really starting to work hard right now uh, so that that's very positive um, you know and and they show this nice chart up 77% since the lows on March 23rd and they just show all the different headline worries and you can pull this up on the YouTube video uh, the video cast and you can just see all the headlines and what you were thinking at each point um, you know, vaccine rollout would be a nightmare. They were right. New York Times, December 23rd. Now we have 100 million people vaccinated. Um, you know, inflation fear lurks. And it just shows these, you know, bumps in the road. And there will always be headlines. But he, how he concludes is that when free, when free liquidity tightens, when the EPS growth cycle is enfeebled, and when the tape breaks down, we'll, worried, we'll worry until that time stay bullish. Um, but cyclicals value and starting to take a fresh look at tech already bruised by rising bond, bond yield concerns. Um, I'm getting short term concerned about everyone. And, you know, last year we were the lonely man in the woods pounding the table on energy and banks and defense stocks. And now everyone's talking energy and banks and, and they're euphoric over it. Um, I, I certainly believe it's got a lot more to go over the next, you know, one to three years. My sense is with all this late hot money coming in, they have to they have to take the stuffing out of the Johnny come lately's. And that'll probably be in the next couple of months where they'll rip their faces off the, the new money that's buying up 80 percent, up 100 percent. They'll rip their faces off, take it back down 10 to 15 percent. And then, um, you know, if it goes down far enough, we'll we'll add more. But generally, we're a hold and we're going to just be a hold. We, we bought a ton last year. So, um, you know, if we got maybe 20 percent, we, we would we would add more. I don't think we're going to get that. But if we do in, in, in some of the energy names, it'll definitely be a possibility and we, we will take advantage of it. But we own the stuff from such lower bases that it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to increase our basis on a lot of these. Um, so we're going to focus on what's actionable today. This is a chart of Apple. We've talked about that since uh, since they reported perfect earnings. Um, and uh, this stock continues to look broken to me. Um, now, with if, if I'm correct that... that Yields stabilize in the coming weeks. Certainly, the rate of change has slowed dramatically, so that's been correct. Um, it had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to Chair Powell this week, but it always does. The market will digest it. You know, the the, the thing that I shared with the reporter who called me today from Reuters is that um, people think that if Powell starts to buy the long end of the curve versus the short end of the curve. That's hawkish. 
and they're confusing it effectively with starting to taper back on buying bonds. Right now he's buying 120 billion a month of 80 billion of treasuries, 40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. To taper back on that and take it down to 100 billion or 80 billion or 60 billion or zero per month, that is hawkish. What part of the curve that he buy that he spends that 80 billion of treasury money on is discretionary. Right now it's on the short end. He's steeping the hell out of the curve, which has been great for the banks. It's going to continue to be great. So he doesn't want to flatten the curve too, too quickly. But um, he's also got to be mindful that he doesn't lose control of the long end of the curve. So it's a balancing act. And my sense is if we were to see more episodes like we saw, you know, right after his Fed meeting this week where you get a spike up and tech is crashing, et cetera, my sense is they will start to jawbone, um, they will start to jawbone Operation Twist, which is the same thing that happened in April, in April of 2011, they started to jawbone it, uh, bonds rallied off the jawboning, yields plummeted. And they didn't actually implement what they were jawboning until September 21st after yields collapsed and bonds rallied. And that was actually the top for bonds and the bottom of yields was when they implemented the program versus when they announced the program. So if you if you get uh, what Powell has been saying is he's data dependent as it relates to that. If you get any whiff of inflation data in coming weeks, the market is going to sniff out that. Um, they will be forced to step in, and if they don't proactively do it, they'll reactively do it from the quote-unquote bond vigilantes will force their hands. Uh, so I'm less worried about uh, rates in the short term. I think we're going to see members come out in coming weeks, or the market's just going to start to discount it, uh, and we're going to have uh, stabilization at these levels. Now, that should favor, it certainly without a question will favor the high yielders, utilities, Big Pharma and Staples. The question is, what pockets of tech will it favor? And I think there are aspects of FANG that will be beneficiaries. I'm not certain that um, I'm not certain that Apple's going to be one of them. You know, a two trillion dollar company. Yes, they have the upgrade cycle, but don't forget they had a dramatic re-rating and multiple expansion in the 12 to four, 16 months going into the 5G announcement or the 5G launch, they had a multiple expansion, I think in the neighborhood of 50% increase in, in the multiple, give or take. And so, you know, sends a new catalyst, which the only thing big enough to move the needle is cars, which their talks with Hyundai broke down. So they're going to have to figure something else out, maybe build it internally. But, you know, the, the head of Toyota said, good luck with that. You know, you better have a 40-year plan. And he's absolutely right. And uh, also confirmed by Elon Musk saying there's only two American automakers that haven't gone bankrupt. That's Ford and Tesla. All the rest have. So um, I, don't, I don't see the catalyst for Apple. You know, I, I think, honestly, the best thing that could happen to Apple is as it continues to drift down, uh, it gets to a very low multiple, and then in, in the summer they make some big car announcement, or the 5G numbers come in better than expected, and the thing just rips rips again, uh, takes another leg higher. And that's kind of how Apple's behaved over the long term. So, you know, while if I'm right about rate stabilization, 
parts of tech should get a bid, maybe parts of FANG, but I have lower conviction than I do about utilities, uh, staples, and big pharma. Those are clear to me because you get the dividend yield, you get the growth. Uh, these, you know, on balance, they're trading at 30, 33 times, you know, FANG, et cetera, uh, 33 times uh, uh, forward earnings with uh, 18% uh, next year earnings growth relative to the S&P 500 trading at 22 times earnings with uh, with 25 or 24, 25 time, percent earnings growth. So you get more earnings growth of the S&P 500 for less multiple versus tech where you're going to get lower growth this year because remember they pulled forward a ton of growth uh, last year because everyone was at home. They're coming up on very tough comps in, in Q1 and Q2 earnings for this year. So I, I don't see the clear catalyst um, as I do with the, the other ones that will benefit from a leveling off of yields uh, moving forward. So so that's, that's the two cents there. Uh, then you've got, uh, here we go, the Amazon unionization vote, what to know? I mean, look, this is, this is a company that is uh, very progressive. They should be embracing uh, the unionization of their company, I thought. You know, they have the Washington Post. They're, they're all for uh, this type of situation. So I, I don't see what the problem is. Why do they even have to have a vote? Why don't they just, you know, let them all unionize and double their salaries and double their benefits? I mean, makes sense to me. So a um, little sarcasm there, but, you know, it, it's, it's ironic. I mean, there's great irony in seeing this. And I, and I, Candidly, I hope their their workers are successful uh, on this particular front because uh, um, you know you got to walk your talk. If if that's going to be your guiding philosophy, you got to live it and uh, and extend it, you know, at home. Uh, okay, acting FTC chair calls for bold action to rein in tech and other monopolies. I would not mess with this person. Uh, she looks like she means business. And uh, and it's just, again, what we started talking about last August when Fang topped and leveled out um, has continued. And the drumbeat's getting louder domestically and internationally, and they are honing in on big tech. And I'm sure we're going to see continued movement there. So this was basically what I said. You saw this move from 100 basis points to 155 basis points in four or five weeks. And yeah, we did get a little spike up after the Fed meeting, but you know, basically we've been much lower rate, you know, 55 basis points in four or five weeks, and then, you know, 15, 20 basis points in the next four weeks. So that rate of change is changing, and I think we're probably going to level off here. And that's just based on data. So we got the commitments of traders report out this week. And what you saw was that the institutional money uh, increased their longs, uh, their, well, they're their two to one long to short and then the leverage funds and hedge funds uh they've been obviously chasing the short that's already a dramatically crowded trade i'm surprised short treasuries was not one of the most crowded trades in the bank of america fund fund manager survey this week but it, but it certainly is everyone and their mother's short and usually when you get everyone on on one side of the boat either they're both cap sizes or you get a reversion to the mean and I think we're going to get a reversion here, and it's, it's an opportunity to play those groups. Now, uh, these these numbers are probably confusing to you, so I like pictures. And here is the green line. These are the commercials that we were talking about. They're always right. They're they're often early. They buy ahead, and at these peaks, like we have here, 
it's usually when bonds bottom and you get a rally. Bonds bottom, 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 you get a rally. So, so they've been buyers. That's the smart money. The dumb money, which is the hedge funds, you know, when it comes to these extremes, meaning they always chase the trend at the end, at the late, you know, after you've had a 25% correction, that's when everyone gets short and, and it's often the wrong time. So this is both starting to reverse and I think we're going to see uh, some stabilization. It's not to say we can't go another 5 or 10% lower. It's, it's, it's not out of the question. There are a lot of reasons, inflation, et cetera. But uh, I think the juice is out of that trade and uh, the more likely probability in the next few months is uh, flattening and if not a rise in bonds. Um, and that's all you need for these groups to start to take off. This is just another visual, little longer term. You can see this is a peak. That's the bottom in bonds, peak, bottom in bonds, peak. The green line, the green is the peak of uh, commercial buying, the bottom in bonds, peak, bottom in bonds, and you get a rally, peak, bottom in bonds, rally, all the way back. I mean, this is back, peak of buying, bottom in bonds, rally, bottom in bonds, rally. Um, there you go. Moving on, this is from Macro Charts at Twitter. Uh, he has something that's also looking at this. He put this out, I think, today. Uh, yeah, this morning. And uh, he says, bond sentiment is extremely oversold, where major bottoms are formed. So his is a sentiment chart. It's called daily sentiment. I don't know what that's a measure of, but I actually don't really care because I can see when it gets to this level of extreme that you usually get a bounce in bonds. And that's all I'm interested in. Does it work? Uh, you know, some people spend all their time um, studying the roots of the tree. I like to pick the fruit. And um, as you can see, pretty much every time that the sentiment got this low, you got a rebound in bonds. And it's not dissimilar to the extreme of uh, hedge funds being short bonds. That's usually a reversal. Commercials being extra long. They're the smart money. And um, uh, they're, they're the ones I follow. So particularly on treasuries, it, it varies from commodity and futures contract to futures contract, but in this one in particular, it, it makes makes perfect sense. Okay, now this bullish percent um, bullish percent is again not really interested in the roots, more interested in the fruit. But in a nutshell, it's those uh, percentage of stocks on a point and figure buy signal. I don't use point and figure charts, but as an aggregate, it's kind of interesting and it's kind of helpful just to help you eyeball with a crayon, not to, not with a scalpel, where things are at extremes. And, you know, we started hammering utilities, staples, and big pharma at the beginning of this month, late last month. You can look back at our articles on hedgefundtips.com. Uh, by the way, um, click on terms. This is not financial advice. This is my opinion only. You should talk to your financial advisor. Uh, I only deal uh, with accredited investors for managed money and qualified institutions. So, you know, our strategies are a little bit more um, sophisticated than what a person should be doing individually. So, you know, uh, take that for what it's worth. And, uh, but here's where you find all the articles we've ever written. You can just click on commentary or click on sentiment and you'll see all of our weekly articles. You can click here under categories for the weekly video cast or the weekly podcast and listen to any back uh, things. You could actually go back a year ago and uh, listen to the podcast and see what we said and what happened. And you probably find that a useful exercise. 
Um, okay, so utilities got oversold. Now they're moving up. They're not at an extreme. And this has historically been a good area to buy utilities when they get this overdone and the bullish percent gets that low. Um, you know, it's generally a good area to get exposure. So let's take a look at some of these charts. And if you're on the podcast, you can listen. It's, it's perfectly fine. Uh, you may want to take a look at the video cast on hedgefundtips.com just to see some of these because we're going to be looking at daily and weekly just to get you a feel for what's happened uh, since uh, late February, early March when we put out that first note uh, pitching these three sectors and what we were doing about it. Also, before I go into that, I want to cover our Ask Me Anything question from Greg Stewart this week. Thank you for sending the question. It says, hi, Tom. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate your insights. I've been able to slowly transition my retirement account from primary tech stocks and defense to defense and aerospace, and more recently, big pharma, utilities, and consumer staples. These are all ETFs, XAR, XLP, XLU, XLV, by the way. I'm looking forward to seeing these rally beneath the surface of the market during the next six to nine months. I have some additional savings that I've been using to invest in individual stocks within those sectors in hopes of outperforming the ETFs in my retirement account. I've been using your, uh, your earnings revisions tables to find undervalued stocks in each sector, but I've been having trouble with consumer stables. When I look at the top 30 funds in, the, uh, I guess, uh, stocks in the XLP ETF, I see the best value in stocks like Walmart, Procter & Gamble, Costco, but you often refer to stocks like Kellogg, Campbell's, and General Mills. Also, I don't see the stocks I'm looking at in FinViz, Finviz charts you are showing. My question is, what industry within consumer staples are you focused on? Packaged foods, question mark. Okay, so that's that's a good uh, point. Number one is, uh, before doing anything with a retirement account, you should talk to a financial advisor. That's number one. Um, you know, uh, the people on the trading service, we always say this should just, you know, be your trading money and, um uh, think of it in that way because you're not doing it 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and um, you know you should be prudent and and you should be in safe stuff first, and then you have your play money where you can try to outperform. And I think that's what he's trying to do here. Uh, as far as Procter and Gamble and Costco, I like both of them. Uh, I think Walmart as well. I, I think you're on the right track here, George. Um, I'm just focused on. Uh, in staples, I would say, yes, I have skewed a bit towards um, packaged goods, which is counterintuitive because everyone's like, well, weren't people eating snacks and soup and salad last year? But they've come in so much on the basis of the rate rise that, you know, earnings have basically been, been flat. Their price in some cases have come in 20 plus percent. And the dividend yield has become very attractive relative to the 10 years. So it's, um, I'm effectively playing it uh, in the context of rates and relative yield. As a matter of fact, speaking of that, um, the domino over at CNBC was actually doing a segment today. Uh, it's interesting. I wonder... I, I think there are quite a lot of people that actually listen to this podcast and, and video cast because I see so many. Anyway, so nonetheless, um, he did a great chart on um, the dividend yield of the healthcare sector relative to the relative attractiveness relative to the S&P 500. And this divergence is very, very rare. Usually it lags the S&P. Most of the time it lags the S&P 500. But when it starts to lead, then then the stocks themselves play catch up and that 
hence may create the, the opportunity for the healthcare sector. And uh, these yields are low. The big pharma stocks that I'm talking about, uh, you know, healthcare includes insurers, et cetera. The big, the big pharma stocks I'm talking about are yielding three and a half to four and a half percent. So that, that relative spread is even more material and I think has greater opportunity, especially you have to consider the amount of people who haven't been to their doctors in the last th th uh, 12 months because their fears of COVID, they're going to get back on their drugs, they're you know going to get get jobs, get insurance, uh, etc. So, um, so that's going to be, so I guess the point is once people have nothing to worry about with COVID, they get to worry about everything else <laughs> and start taking their pills for, you know, no one cares about a little bit of high blood pressure when you're worried about dying from COVID. But, <laughs> you know, once everyone's vaccinated they're gonna be like oh my, my blood pressure is up 10 points i gotta watch out for heart disease and they'll they'll get back on their statins and all that stuff so um all right don't mean to make light out of it but you know some things if you don't laugh about it you'll cry about it so uh, uh often better to go for the humor uh okay so these are the daily charts of, of, of a, a bunch of utilities large cap utilities and as you can see we put out the article at the end of february and these things are just ripping they're all up 5 10 15 percent in the last two weeks huge huge massive moves uh and that's that's really good news and if you look at them it's like oh my goodness are they going to roll roll over here and my guess is after you have a move this big like our um let's see where is um Okay, let's see what's on page two. So after you have moves like these, um, you know, Dominion and AEP, where's AEP? Right here. Um, yeah, so these, these are closer to 14, 15% in two weeks, three weeks. Um, a lot of people start to chase up now and although I still don't hear a lot of people talking about utilities on TV, which is kind of interesting, they'll chase up and that's when you get that, you know, 5% pullback down to here to just take out all the late sisters and the weak, weak sisters and late money. And then you can resume uh, the uptrend. But if you look at the daily, it's like, oh, I missed it. And you probably did miss the short-term move, but let's take a look at longer term. These things have been subdued for the last year, and I think that's going to be a huge, huge opportunity here. These things are just getting started literally just getting started this is a weekly chart i'm showing you now aep huge move you know 14 15 percent or whatever it is it's it's just getting started it's still down 17 percent no 20 percent from its uh, pre-covid highs uh earnings are doing nicely demand is going to go up uh demand for yield is going up once the, once these uh rates slow down uh, this is this is just an exciting group to get exposure. And what's great is uh, on the flip side, you get free protection. So if you get volatility in the stock market, uh, people hide out, managers hide out in utilities, staples, and healthcare. So you get two bites of the apple. You get paid to wait. You get uh, a laggard sector. You get increasing demand. You get it's 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 just amazing. But wait, there's more. No I'm kidding. All right, so that's utilities. We covered that. Now this is the bullish percent staples. Remember we covered percentage on a point and figure, whatever it is on a buy signal. Bottom line is, is it close to the bottom or close to the top? And the point is that um, this was pretty. This is generally a decent area. Obviously, you have exceptions like last year, but those are the exceptions, not the rule. You get down in this area below 50, you can start looking on a selective basis. 
And that's what's happened. And to George's great question, um, by the way, um, if you're on the email list, you just go to hedgefundtips.com, join the email list, and you can uh, just reply to any of those with your ask me anything questions at the end of the week. Um, Okay, so here are staples. We have been somewhat focused on packaged goods, but the the ones that he pointed out, um, you know, Procter and Gamble, yeah, Clorox is another one that's perfectly fine. Um, uh, what else? He has Costco here. I think Costco we did in the trade service I, that that bounced a lot. Um, but uh, Clorox is one that think people think that no one's going to use any wipes anymore. Colgate people got to brush their teeth. So so different. It's not exclusive to foods, but I, I would say consumer products is where, where the focus is because those have gotten beaten down the most on one fears that, that, the, that the demand was pulled forward. I don't think that's the case. Um, but again, you know, we put this out the last week of February and, and repeated that we were aggressive the first week of March and these things have just ripped. So on a daily chart, it looks like you missed it. Uh, when you look at the weekly chart, you can see like something like Kellogg, these things are just getting started. General Mills just getting started. Um, Campbell's soup just getting started, and and you know soup. I the number one thing Campbell's could do to inc- improve their business is just change the name of the company. If you look at their product portfolio, it's it's they have unbelievable snack snack products, chips like they they're like Pepsi Part Two. Go look at their portfolio. Um, the um, oh gosh, when they were owned by Diamond Foods, I remember the brand Kettle Chips and. All these different things. All they have to do is change their name to Campbell Foods from Campbell Soup, and the stock is probably going to go up 30%. I mean, it, that's just common sense what, what they do. People just don't understand the businesses that they're in, and um, and it's 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 really Pepsi Part 2 minus the soda. And everyone knows Pepsi relative to Coke, Pepsi's advantage is the snacks, and Campbell has them in spades. Um, and if you look at some of these, you think that just have – cereal or just have soup you're going to look at a broad spectrum of snacking stuff and uh they're going to continue to be in demand and uh again they have huge yields relative to the 10-year now stabilizing they've come down materially because of rates and they're going to rise on the same basis and steady earnings and everything else that's uh that that's that's working to their advantage Uh, Big Pharma, it was interesting that, you know, we started pounding the table on this uh, again, end of February, early March. Last weekend, we were very fortunate to see a beautiful article by Andrew Barry, front page. It was the the lead article for Barron's last week, uh, talking about that's where there is to find value. Uh, And he named basically all the stocks, you know, Pfizer, uh, Merck, you know, we also like Novartis. And uh, and, he, and he talks about the relative multiples, 13 times versus 22 times, and, and basically the exact same story. And he covers a couple other names that we haven't covered, but but the thesis is, is right there, and, and I thought that was... So opinion follows trend. When these things start to move, you're going to see more and more articles. By the way, the week before that, the front page was the second week of, of March. The front page was utilities. So uh, I think word's getting around, and, and that's a good thing. And uh, by the way, if you're getting value from this podcast and videocast the greatest compliment you could pay me is just tell your friends you know if you can share this and it can be helpful for people that's a good thing all right uh healthcare uh, again same thing the bullish percent it's down at these levels it's a time to buy not a time to sell 
and um, we're focused obviously on big pharma. Uh, and as you can see, this has basically been the laggard group. You know, uh, uh, utilities has moved first, um, staples are starting to move second, and and now now utility uh, the big farmers are just getting a bid. Like Pfizer here is is up a couple of bucks. Um, uh, AstraZeneca, GlaxoSmithKline had a nice move. Uh, Novartis is just starting to to go. Uh, Gilead's getting a little bit of bid. That's that's big biotech, but it's it's in this group. Merck is you know up a few bucks, but but again on a daily chart they're they're struggling. If you look on a weekly, it's like these things have so much opportunity ahead of them. Look at Glaxo just getting started. Uh, Gilead is cheap. Uh, AstraZeneca is just turning. Uh, Pfizer is just getting going. By the way, you may have caught uh, Merck. It's just getting started, even though it looks huge on the on the daily chart. Where's Merck? You know, it looks like a big move. It's it's nothing. It's just getting started. And you get paid the dividend, and they'll increase the dividend, and demand's going to go up, and 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 and. Uh, so, uh, Pfizer did a call with analysts. It got out in like the New York Post and a bunch of other things. But the basic premise was they're like. Um, well, if you think things are good with the uh, uh, vaccine at $30 a pop to the government, wait until we get the whole world vaccinated. We get to, you know, we're going to be able to increase the price to $170 a shot. And we think that uh, it, it can be an annual thing. And we think that there could be a third booster this year. Uh, so, you know, that's the bad news if you're a human being and you're listening to that. That's like, oh, this, is this ever going to end? Uh, the good news is if you're a shareholder, you're like, wow, that's quite a franchise that they've got. Uh, and once everyone's vaccinated and they've saved the world, uh, they get then get to get paid for the actual value it delivers. And it's significantly greater than $30 a pop. So um, I want to, you know, uh, you know, I'm sad to be on the one side of that trade as a as a uh, potential consumer. Uh, happy to be on the other side of the trade as an owner. And um, that's you know, if you can't beat them, join them. I guess is the is is the message of of Pfizer. Uh, okay. Um, now, I, okay, we're moving into defense and aerospace stocks now. Some of the groups that that we were our big pound the tables last year. Um, we have talked about defense and aero, aerospace that uh, were undervalued for a number of reasons, but one of the, you know, we anticipated geopolitical tensions would start to pick up that would not necessarily be like, oh, you know, we're having bad talks with North Korea or China or Russia, therefore we're going to order, you know, 100 more fighter, pilot, fighter jets. But it draws attention to the sector when that type of stuff flares up. And when you draw attention to the sector that's dramatically undervalued, uh, in, in some cases paying a nice dividend to wait, uh, trading at a discount to the S&P 500 with equal or greater growth in some instances, uh, that's when uh, sentiment changes and then price goes up and then everyone gets interested and then you see an article on the front page of Barron's and then everyone gets involved. So... Um, that that's that's kind of kind of been the the theme for the last um that's just just how it goes so here um i thought this was kind of funny um u.s russia relations plunge as vladimir putin responds to joe biden's killer comments i guess joe biden said that uh, vladimir putin is a killer and uh, vladimir putin uh replied back it takes one to know one so um you know that's usually not how you start a relationship that's going to go well and historically not having a good relationship with Russia 
uh, has usually been a good thing for the defense sector and uh, been a bad thing for the world. So that's how it's starting. I've found in relationships, usually how you start out is how you end up. But, you know, there's always room for change and hope. But this is not a good way to start. Uh, as such, uh, here are the daily charts of the uh, defense and aerospace large caps. Uh, they've, they've made beautiful moves in the last two months. The group is going up fantastic. If you look at these daily chart charts, it looks like the move's already done. They've had huge moves off the bottom. Uh, and by the way, two that I, we covered in the last couple of weeks that were lagging, Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, which I believe one person sent in the Ask Me Anything questions, which we gave the thumbs up on, uh, th these have had nice moves. So in the dailies, it's like, oh man, did I, did I miss it? And then in the weeklies, you can see like, no, you look at Raytheon, this thing's just getting started. L3 Harris, uh, Northrop is just getting started. Lockheed Martin, uh, Boeing, General Dynamics. So my guess is after daily moves like this, you know, you get a lot of chasers up here. That's when they got to they got to take pound the stuffing out of those guys and gals and take it back five or ten percent, knock out the late money, and then and then uh, resume the uptrend and make new highs. Um, so, um, but but it's nice to see and there's tremendous opportunity. So you see the market up 81 percent. You're like, I missed everything. Uh, no, there's there's still great opportunity, and we've been spending uh, now 48 minutes covering it. So I hope hope you're finding it helpful. Uh, energy, okay, that was our big pound the table uh, mid mid year last year, and uh, if you look at the daily charts again so they're, they're taking the stuffing out of the people that got euphoric at the beginning of the month if you recall we said these are probably due for a breather they're getting that breather uh or at least they got the breather um we don't know which so on the dailies it's like did i miss it or or is it going to crash now because you see a few red bars if you look back at the weekly you can see most of these are just getting started you look at the oxys continentals petrobras uh, energy trend for some of these midstream companies are, are, have just been languishing. Again, these these have a high yield, and yes, the this administration is going to be more restrictive. But you know, if you look back, by the way, the, the biggest the biggest oil depressions have been under Republicans, and the biggest oil bull markets have been under Democrats. I mean, there are exceptions to that, but I mean, if you look at how oil performed under Obama. It was unbelievable from uh, 2009 to 2014, his first term. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, well, Bush was in the middle of a crash his first term. But, you know, by 2003, 2004, I mean, they just took off from 2003 to 2008. So that was a Republican. But his first term, they were crashing. Um, uh, under Clinton, uh, oil did OK in the mid, mid to late 90s. It crashed uh, at the turn of the century when Bush came in. Uh, and then in the 80s, uh, you had Reagan and, and oil was pretty subdued. Why? Because uh, regulation uh, comes off. You can drill anywhere you want and that keeps prices down. Once they start re restricting drilling and putting in regulation and controlling supply, the price goes up and the survivors mint money. And, and, and power is usually ceded to OPEC and they get to name their price. And now that we're starting off on a, a really tough footing with Saudi Arabia, with the Khashoggi and with uh, Russia on the, um, uh, on the killer quotes, I think that uh, those two are going to be inclined to uh, charge us whatever price they want because within the next year and a half, based on uh, no drilling on federal lands, we're going to have to start importing oil from the Middle East again, and they're going to be very happy to supply it at whatever price they name. So um, 
so so anyway, the point is, the, these guys are just getting started. They'll they'll probably take a breather again. You know, you have the Suncors, uh, some of the refiners, Phillips, Midstream, Kinder Morgan. You know, we've talked about all of these, um, and uh, some some need to take a breather. The, this is, but some, many are just getting started. Royal Dutch Shell, BP. I mean, the, these these things have room. Uh, but again, they've already had huge runs, so um, th- this is not where we're pounding the table. Uh, this is where we're holding, not where we're adding a lot of new money. Unless we get a meaningful pullback, then we'll add more. But with such low bases, uh, these were just holding for the secular trend over the next you know, one to three years. And, um, and that's that. Uh, banks... Uh, here's the daily again, monster moves in the short term. It looks like, Oh, did I miss everything? Yeah. I think in the short term you did. There's a lot of euphoria on TV. Everyone wants banks. Now that's when I think they're going to just hand back five or 10%, knock the stuffing out of the late money and the euphoric, uh, people buying late and, uh, buying when everyone wants it versus when no one wanted it, when we were pounding the table on it. And I think that, uh, if you look back to the weekly charts here on banks, um, you know, some of these have had, had big moves, but I think on a secular basis, there are great opportunities. Wells Fargo, we think has a lot more to go, uh, over the next one to three years. And for those who think that, you know, they're toast because of the PayPal's and the squares of the world, Charlie Scharf knows payments better than both of those guys combined. And if you think he's not going to apply that on Wells Fargo, I think, you know, you may be missing an opportunity here. I mean, look, it's up, whatever it's up, almost you know, 90, 100% off the lows. I think it's got a lot more to go. And I think, you know, they've got 10 billion of cost to come out of it. Uh, the yield curve is now steep. That'll probably level off, but still it's steep enough that they can make money uh, and they'll get payments right. And, and the demand from housing formation and CNI loans, which PayPal's not not doing um, and SoFi is not doing, all of that stuff is going to come back in spades and uh, they're going to be a major, major beneficiary for sure. Um, so that's that. All right. Moving right along, uh, the March bank of America, global fund manager survey, obviously key takeaways. Everyone's now euphoric. Um, everyone, uh, lowest overweight for tech sector since, uh, okay. Managers are dumping tech stocks at the fastest pace in 15 years. That tells me there's probably a lot of tech stocks that are potentially due for a bounce like we covered. Um, Exposure to commodities now sits at an all-time high. If you remember four or five months ago, you couldn't give them away. My sense is they got to take the stuffing out of that late money and have a nice five, five to ten percent plus pullback, and then it can resume its uh, early cycle uh, trend up. And I think that's going to persist for the next three to five years in commodities. Um, and uh, most crowded trades there are still long tech is the sentiment, long Bitcoin, long ESG, and long global cyclicals. So uh, this consensus is I have, for many of these people, I have too much tech. Now, Marco uh, Kolonovic, who I talk about sometimes, he's the quant at JP Morgan. I think he just got promoted to chief strategist. He was on and he made a very important point. Um, and it, it's in line with what I'm saying about, you know, the, the time to sell bonds is not after you have a 25% correction. Um, his point is that coming into the quarter end, you're probably going to see some rebalancing. So 
what that means is that equities have moved up a lot, bonds have moved down, you rebalance to the, to the initial percentages, that means you've got to add bonds to rebalance, you've got to sell some equities. Uh, but that's the number one rebalance that he sees. But number two, he sees a rebalance in momentum in that he thinks that there's so much quantitative money that is a mom that is momentum chasing money, i.e., it buys strength and sells weakness versus the other way around. And that now all of these energy and bank stocks, according to their formulas, are now momentum stocks, and they're going to have to add more of them because they've gone up so much. Which I, you know, I was talking to my wife, and I said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we go around the neighborhood and see which property has appreciated the most in the last two years and buy the one that that has has appreciated the most that the seller paid the least? So let's say you're looking at a, a $2 million house that was a million dollars three years ago. Does that, you know, is that the type of house that you want to buy or would you rather buy a house that's, you know, a million dollars that was a million three last year? So in other words, you know, if you were buying in 2011 and 2012 when, you know, for 1.7, when it sold for 3 million in 2007, that that's exciting to me. Uh, if I see a house like, you know, I think I shared on this that a few months ago or I guess it was December or something like that. Uh, I bid a house on a house in um, Palm Beach. It was through a, a foreclosure auction, and I got outbid by like four hundred thousand dollars. And I, you know, for me, it's it's not exciting to pay for something that you know two years. So someone else made like a fifty percent profit in two years. So for me, that that that's just a market I don't want to be involved in. And and it's the same way that I look at stocks. I don't want to buy things that have that have you know, a lot of the appreciation has happened. I want to buy things when no one wants them and then wait for them to double and triple over time. Uh, again, you know, some people do that. They, they are breakout buyers. But if I think about it in terms of a house, the last thing you want to do is buy a house that just doubled in the last two years and think it's going to double in the next two years. It's just someone else already made all, all the meat out of the trade is, is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, but what Marco is saying is there's so much money that's programmed to that, that now they're going to be buying energy stocks and bank stocks this year like they were buying tech last year. Tech was the momentum of last year, so all their programs just kept buying strength and kept buying strength, and that's what created the, the, the uh, overshoots. And he thinks that that money now has to rebalance into banks and energy because they've become the new momentum. We'll see if that second rebalance is true. But the first one certainly makes a lot of sense that um, the natural rebalancing of pensions, of everything else, uh, if they've gotten underweight their uh, in investment policy statements. Um, you know, I sit on a pension commission. You know, we do this automatically every quarter. So, that, so this is very, very common for pensions to um, add to what's what's been weak and to uh, lighten up on what's been heavy if if it's outside the percentage bands that you've set in your initial uh, IPS uh, allocation. Okay, um, the other thing that was interesting, this was the first month that um, uh, COVID was not the number one fear for the biggest tail risks among institutional managers. The highest fear is now inflation. 
uh, followed by a tantrum in the bond market, and COVID is down to number three, uh, and higher taxes is starting to come in. We'll start to hear more about that in coming weeks and months uh, for sure. And uh, that was basically it. So on to the article of the week. We've covered a lot of it, but I want to go through it. Um, this was the Steve Miller fly like an eagle. That was the sentiment going into when I wrote the article on Wednesday night. And uh, what we saw in the meeting, for those of you who are on the podcast, uh, we're going get, to get cut off in a minute. So you just go to hedgefundtips.com and click on the video cast. Uh, it should be the first post. If not, you can just click here on weekly recap and then fast forward the YouTube video to minute 60 and you'll be able to pick up the last few minutes. You'll also be able to rewind it to where we were showing all the charts so you can visualize what we were talking. We did a lot of visual this week and I think it's important at this juncture uh, with, with how everything's set up. And uh, if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. Okay, moving on. Um, so what we saw in Chair Powell's press conference this week is that he has an undying commitment to full employment, ensuring that there's no structural long-term employment like we had following the great financial crisis post-2009. Many people in their 50s got left out and they've never returned into 